0: Thank you Stephanie don't believe August is like almost halfway over some of you have started school already how many of y'all have already gone back to school all right uh, uh, okay I saw like one hand <laughs> so sorry about that how many of y'all are starting this coming week keep your hands up if you're pumped about it all the parents' hands are still, still up. <laughs> I even see, I see even one teacher or two teachers' hands up. No, actually that teacher's hand was being pushed up by the spouse. It's all good. Yeah, it's starting back. I can't believe it's here already. And uh, I just tell you, this summer has flown by. It's been so fast. Um, and uh, so I actually have something I want to show you guys today as we uh, have our little brief time together. Um, this is a, a valuable sculpture. Uh, I wanted to. I was just wondering how much someone in this room would potentially pay me for this beautiful sculpture. In case you can't see it, there. Isn't that beautiful? Why are y'all looking at me like I'm crazy? Now, what makes this very valuable? See, you gotta you gotta think outside the box a little bit. If you flip it upside down, you can see etched into the clay Molly C. This is an original Molly Clark. All right. Now, oh, I heard the ahs. Thank you. She's 18 today. She turned 18 today. Uh, she is no longer my little baby girl. She is my young woman daughter. I don't know how to say that without sounding creepy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this is, this is very valuable, valuable to me. Do you remember what grade you were in when you made that? sixth grade. Awesome. That's awesome. She's gone to doing more painting since then, and uh, it's valuable to me. It's, it's very precious to me. It's been in my uh, office. I have a little office at home, also known as the catch-all room. If we don't know where to put things, we put it in that room, and I do my studying in there, and uh, I keep it sitting there. Every now and then, I look at it and say, whoa, ah, my baby girl made that for me, you know. It makes me think, you know, everything is, you you think about it, I mean, here's kind of what I'm getting at. Value is kind of in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Because none of y'all jumped up and raised your hand when you asked you how much you'd pay me for this. I don't know why you all sat on your hands. This is very valuable to me. But but value really is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? And, and that's something that we think of. There might be something you consider very valuable that I look at and say, I don't see it. I don't see where your point is. But you know, when the day comes, when you walk into New York City in the Museum of Modern Art, and you see this under glass, you're going to regret that you didn't come by here and offer me something for this sculpture, all right? Speaking of that, we actually took a little vacation trip uh, at the, in New York City. That's where Molly Molly got to choose since it was. You know, it's funny how you do things when your kid goes off to college. It's like we're doing everything as if it's the last time we'll ever do it. Like life will end as we know it. So okay, this is the last vacation before Molly goes to college. What are we going to do? And, and so we had let her choose. We went to New York City, spent a few days there, and uh, we actually split up. Uh, Sherry and Molly went to the Museum of Modern Art, also known as the MoMA. And I think that day, Cameron and I went to see a Yankees game, a Yankee Stadium. So, uh, but we kind of got back together afterwards, and I was curious to hear how the museum went. And my wife was like, "That's not art." They were like pieces of cardboard hanging on a wall. And I agree, I think this is way better than pieces of cardboard hanging on a wall. I mean, that's art right there, you know. But apparently that is art. Uh, Apparently that is valuable. It was so valuable that it made it into the Museum of Modern Art. And some of the things that you would see in these museums are even under glass. And it makes me think about really what does make something valuable what makes it worth and I got to thinking about it and a couple of things came to mind sometimes things are valuable because what they consist of for instance if it consists of a very pure precious metal like a block of gold would be valuable or perhaps it consists of high-quality parts such as maybe a high-end car or home another thing that makes something valuable is how rare it is if it's something that's very rare can have great value to it such as certain gems or old baseball cards or comic books. Another thing that can make something valuable is how it's in high demand but in low supply. A lot of people want it but there's not a lot of it to go around. All of a sudden that thing is worth a lot of money whatever it might be. And then perhaps even just great ability. It's very capable of doing something very needed or wanted. I hate to say it, but sometimes value is actually placed on a person because of that. All you have to do is look at ESPN, at the money being made. You have the ability to knock a little white ball 400 feet just about every time you touch it. You can make a lot of money. You are considered very valuable to someone. Great ability. But my favorite thing that I've come to learn that determines value is sometimes something might look invaluable not look like it has no value but because of what it represents it is of great value for instance this beautiful sculpture to me is extremely valuable because it represents my daughter it represents memories it represents a childhood it represents a relationship that I have with someone very special to me now that's kinda nice and sappy but let's kinda move on logistically if I were to pull out Say an old picture of Abraham Lincoln. Why is this particular picture of Abraham Lincoln maybe a little more valuable than other pictures of Abraham Lincoln? I mean, it is, after all, just a piece of paper with a picture of a dead president on it. Why does that... I mean, people go crazy to get pictures of dead presidents in their possession. Have you not noticed that? People will spend... 9, 10, 12 hours of their waking time every day to get more pictures of dead presidents. Are you following me? Why? If an alien were to suddenly come and observe these people called humans, they would say, there's something about them dead presidents. They love pictures of dead presidents. They'll do anything for a picture of a dead president and yet okay we know where I'm getting at here what the reason this is value because it represents something even though in itself it's it's paper with certainly a picture of a dead president it represents something of great value now I was prepared to tell you what it represents is an amount of precious metal stored in our United States Treasury that would have been true up until 1971 then that all changed now it represents the amount of goods that a group of people called the Fed tell you you're able to purchase with this amount of legal tender It's a little different but it's still enough to where we want it because of this I can get myself a grande caramel macchiato a Starbucks and because of that I like this picture of Abraham Lincoln you know so it represents something of value in addition to that you have pieces of paper that look like this this is what you call a personal check it has mine and Sherry's name on it and it's blank depending on the day of the month this may be of great value or it may be worthless <laughs> in this particular case the account number on here represents a closed account that no longer exists so you can come take this if you want no matter not to me but you see what I'm saying that is just a piece of paper What does it value It actually has no value except for what it represents And it's because of that that I think it's really nice to step back and say, huh, it's interesting how some things have value that might surprise us. And because of that, it's important for us to remember that you can miss out on something valuable by not thinking outside your box. Now, I want to introduce you to a man named Barnabas. Just real briefly before we close in just a moment. Barnabas was a special guy. I believe he had a God-given ability to see the value in things that most people couldn't see but in order to understand how he was able to do that and how he did that we must first understand the backstory of a man named Saul who eventually became known as the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 I want to read to you the first 19 verses that tell his story it says meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, interestingly enough, that's what they called the Jesus freaks, those who loved Jesus and followed him, they were known as the way. If he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. And to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I I love that last statement because it's like God is showing Ananias. Listen, I'm going to reveal to you something that most people don't see in Saul. I want to reveal to you his purpose. I want to reveal to you his potential. But by the way, I know you're mad at him because of all he's done to Christians. He'll suffer. Just trust me. He's going to suffer a little bit for the faith too. I thought it's interesting how God threw that in there. And it goes on to say that Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now in verse 20 it goes on to say, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Big change. He was arresting those who talked about Jesus. Now he's telling people about Jesus. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews, his former comrades, his former cheerleaders, his former fan club, to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night And lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. (laughs) Nobody wanted anything to do with Saul. The Jews hated him. Because they were once his hero. The one taking care of those Christians, those Jesus followers. But now he comes and he tries to join the disciples and it says, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. I mean, after all, you can't blame him. It wasn't that long ago that he was holding the clothing of a naked Stephen, one of their precious, precious men of God, leading the church. And while Saul held his clothing, they took rocks and beat him to death right before their eyes. That was the same Saul. And here he is preaching. It says in verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You know what Barnabas did that we need to do, friends? We need to determine to see everything through the eyes of God. Because that's exactly what Barnabas did. He looked at Saul and all of his past and all that he had done and his entire reputation, and he saw something different. Where everybody else around him were looking at Saul, and all they could think of was all that he had done wrong, all that he had done that was horrible anger that they felt towards him, the revenge they wanted to take against him, that's what they saw. But Barnabas saw Saul through the eyes of grace, the eyes of forgiveness, the eyes of mercy, the eyes of the love of Jesus, the eyes of God himself. Now it's not easy to do. I'm not saying it's easy to do. I'm just saying we don't ever think to stop and do it. We just kind of go by our gut every time. We go by our immediate reaction and we take our immediate reaction as gospel. But what if every time we are in a situation, maybe a storm in our life, maybe a person that's difficult, maybe a circumstance that's unusual, what if in that moment, rather than reacting with our natural feelings, we actually stop for one moment and say, God, how do you see this? How do you view this person? How do you view my storm that I'm in right now? How do you view my circumstance? What if we were to stop and begin to look at our spouse through the eyes of God, our children through the eyes of God, our parents through the eyes of God, our school campus through the eyes of God, our neighborhood through the eyes of God, this city through the eyes of God, this church, everything about life around us through His very eyes? How would that change things? Here's what I know. Thanks to Barnabas, something happened that was amazing. Because Barnabas believed in Saul, this man named Saul eventually became the Apostle Paul. God used him to write 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament, God used him to start church after church in city after city throughout Europe and Asia. Because Barnabas saw the value in Saul the gospel of Jesus Christ came to those who were lost without him. That's amazing. And it was all because he was able to see what God wanted them to see. And friends, when we see what God wants us to see we can do what God wants us to do. Sometimes we don't do what God wants us to do because we haven't seen what he wants us to see yet. We need our eyes opened. Like Saul, we need the scales to fall from our eyes and begin to look at things differently than we've ever seen them before. And that wasn't the end of Saul's story. Actually, what was interesting, I didn't keep reading in Acts chapter 9, but what happened was as Saul continued to roam around in Jerusalem, and because of Barnabas being by him, everybody was okay with him. But eventually, the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, still tried to kill him. And they said, listen, we're just going to to take Saul, put him back in Tarsus, where his hometown is, and hide him there. And that's what they did. He went back to his hometown, and they just stuck him there. We don't know how much time passed, but we find him showing up again in Acts chapter 11. And what happened was... The Gospel of Jesus Christ was spreading to places it had never been before. Places where paganism was rampant. Places where the culture was very Greco-Roman. A lot of people were living just to please themselves. They had never been taught about God at all. So the people in Jerusalem were sort of struggling like, could the movement of God actually go that far? They heard about this place called Antioch where people were turning to Jesus Christ. So the Jerusalem council, kind of the Jedi council of Christianity, got together. And they decided, let's send Barnabas to go check it out. So Barnabas goes to Antioch to check it out. And he saw that the movement of God was real. That people were turning to Jesus. And their lives were changing. He was able to see all that. And once he saw all that, what did Barnabas do? Well, in Acts 11, verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why? Because he remembered what God showed him. He remembered that God showed him the value in Saul. That Saul wasn't just some guy who had a bad past. He was a man that had a calling to reach the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people for Jesus. So who did he go get? Who are you going to call? Go call Saul. He went and called Saul. It says in verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The term Christian, little Christ, was coined in the ministry of Saul and Barnabas there in Antioch. Friends, right action comes after right vision. When we see what God wants us to see, we can do what God wants us to do. So I'm asking you this morning, what is it that God wants you to see differently than you've ever seen before? What is it you're supposed to ask? Okay, God, will you help me to see this through your eyes? I don't care what it is. It may seem like it's a minor thing to you, but what if you were to begin to look at that through the eyes of God and He shows you something different, an opportunity, a next step that He wants you to take with another person or just personally between Him and you? As we think of next steps, I've got a few to throw at you as we close our time. Perhaps God wants you to see your need for Jesus and trust Him today. This is what continually comes to my mind. Why don't more people believe in Jesus? Why wouldn't more people say, Wow, he died and spilled his blood for the forgiveness of my sins, so all i got to do is ask and he forgives me? Why don't more people do that? Because people don't see the need for it. And if you're here today and you've never done that, maybe you've never seen how desperately you need Jesus. He is the only leg we have to stand on, guys. Not only for eternity, but even in this life. Prayed with a family at the end of our last service. And when the storms come raging, as we sang about, that's sometimes when you finally realize, I have nothing else but Jesus. I need Him. Perhaps God wants you to see that today and trust in Him. Or perhaps your next step is to see your need for community your need for relationships, your need for friendships, your need to grow closer to Him. And so your next step might be to do something very logistical. Shameless plug. Come next Sunday night to Group Connect at 6 o'clock in this very room. I should get paid a dollar every time I say that from Matt Beers. I mean, I'm here to tell you our goal, our desire, our passion is that every single person in this room is not just remaining anonymous worshipping in rows, but that you become known and cared for by a group of people that become your spiritual family. And In order for that to happen, you've got to get connected. And we're inviting you to come and eat with us next Sunday night at 6pm and get in community, to get in a small group. Perhaps your next step is to see an unchurched person through God's eyes and invite them to Friend Day next Sunday morning. We've been talking about that for the past couple of weeks. Very simple. Just bring a friend that hasn't come to church with you before. Could be a coworker, could be a neighbor, could be even a relative. But someone who's never come to church with you. We'll so bring them. And we'll tell them about this awesome man named Jesus next week. Or perhaps simply your next step is to see your current situation through God's eyes and do what He wants you to do. What are you not seeing that God wants you to see today? Ask Him to help you to have your eyes open so that you can see the value in something you've never seen before.